Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. As we continue through our series, we are looking at how the church is being born in the book of Acts. That, this, that Jesus is resurrected, and then the next book of the Bible is Acts 1, and it's the disciples' response to the resurrection, and how they are living in light of the resurrection. And as we're moving through these fat five Sundays, the one that we're on today is life. The church is made for more life. And one of the things I just can't help but think about as we were singing is the cross up here, this is an instrument for death, and yet hanging on it are these beautiful flowers of life, and that Jesus offers new life. And we, the church, get to be that expression to other people. As we move through uh, the story that Sony just read, one of the things that is just so powerful is that there's three stories inside of this one that she read, and then I'm going to add in here a fourth one, that there's three stories of people who have a brand new life because of the gospel. That when the gospel encounters them, something radically different happens. And this is what we get to look at in their stories and in ours. Let me pray for us as we dive into this. Jesus, we come to you this morning hearing your word, listening, being present, that we get to be changed by your words, we get to be changed by your life, and in turn that we would then offer the same change to other people, that we would love other people, allow these words to be powerful in our life today, allow these words to be changing for us as we take another step in our relationship with you. Amen. So when we look at this story, we hear it's, it's Paul. Paul is the guy who's the constant moving through each one of these. There's three different stories. And he looks like a superhero missionary because all this change is happening around him. And it looks like there's no way I could be like Paul. This guy's amazing. And what was really, really helpful is to recognize Paul is not doing any of the work. The Holy Spirit is the one creating the change. And that throughout the story, we get to see this word, and it's, it's easy to miss it, that the Spirit is the one making the change. In the beginning of the story, uh, there is the, Paul is going to one city, and then the Spirit says, no, 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 I'm closing the door here. You need to go over here. And so he goes over here. And then he opens the heart of Lydia. He opens the jail cell. He frees, the Spirit frees the woman from the Spirit, from the, from the demon possession, who is doing all this work? It looks like Paul. And it's really the Spirit. And this is really freeing for me because then it moves me away from performance, which is like I, I need to do stuff so other people respond to me, and more into obedience. Obedience to what God has called us to. That whether people convert or not, whether people are changed or not, isn't my job. 
My job is to be obedient to the word of God. And the spirit is the one who's going to make some hearts change radically. So as you're listening to these stories, this is an invitation I hope to bring you into as well. That we get to respond to, we don't have to do the, the changing work. So in this first story, we get to see, this is of Lydia. And it starts with Paul and Silas looking for a place to pray. And they go down to the water and they meet Lydia there. And they start to tell her about the gospel. And her heart is radically changed. And she says, yes, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow this Jesus that you're talking about here. One of the things that is just, like, we, it is so easy to gloss over this. But we have to pay attention to, she was a dealer in purple cloth. This is basically saying she's Coco Chanel. This is Kate Spade that we're talking about. This is a woman who's making a ton of money because no one else, it's hard to sell purple cloth. And it's hard to be a woman selling purple cloth because only royalty are buying it. And so if royalty are the only ones buying it, you're going to make a lot of money. Lydia is wealthy. Lydia has position. Lydia has influence. And, and here comes some pretty scrappy guys telling her about Jesus, and she is open to it. It's clearly not because of the guys. It's clearly because of the Spirit. And then she, she, her heart becomes changed, and she wants to follow Jesus. And it used to be the greatest thing that she could offer to the house of Caesar was purple cloth to adorn the palace. And now the greatest thing that she can offer to this house is Jesus. What changes about her life? Because she, she ends up continuing with her job. She most likely has the same friends, and she's got the same money, because we learn it later in the Bible that she's still very wealthy. Not much changed about Lydia, versus the disciples who we hear, hey, you are a fisherman, leave your, leave your fishing profession and come follow me. Hey, you are a stonecutter, leave your stonecutting and come follow me. Lydia stays the same. So what's different? New purpose that she's given new purpose, and that this is what the gospel offers all of our lives. New purpose. And that it would probably be seen that her, her selling the purple cloth is like the most secular job ever. And in the room today, we probably have people who do not just work for the church, but instead you volunteer for the church and you work for something else. That you still bring honor and glory to Jesus where you are. One of the things that is so common to do is make our purpose our work. And there was this really interesting study that, that found 17,000 people they, that they were surveying, when they retired early, th their dying rate increased by 50%. That if you retired early, which is like the goal in America, right? If you retired early, your chances of dying increased. Why is that? Because so often we tie our purpose to our work. And when the work leaves, so does our purpose. That's a problem because our work is changing. But Jesus is constant. Jesus is Lydia's new purpose. Jesus gets to be our purpose as well. In the second story that we get to hear, this is through um, the, the girl who is possessed by a spirit. She is following around Paul and in, in a way like heckling them these guys worship the one true God. And Paul, the word that is used in the Bible is annoyed, which I think is a poor word choice, but maybe a better word choice would be like so burdened by injustice. 
that Paul was so burdened by injustice, seeing her as a slave, that he cast out the spirit in the name of Jesus. And then the guys are upset with Paul because they're like, oh no, we were using her for fortune telling, for making money, and now she can't fortune tell. There went all of our income. And so they're mad that they lost money. Even though this girl is now free, they are more upset about the loss of money than they are about the girl's freedom. Clearly, they care more about stuff than they do about people. So oftentimes, the church can be seen that way. Less like Paul and more like the guys doing the enslaving. But instead, Jesus calls us to the same freedom. That if you are experiencing oppression, that if you are the victim of violence, we get to see that God hears our cries. The same way that this girl is offered freedom through Paul, Jesus offers the same freedom to us. Jesus is offering the same freedom to us. One of the beautiful things about uh, one of the beautiful things about this story is that uh, Paul gives freedom to the girl, and then it costs him his, because the guys create an uproar, and then he ends up in jail because of this moment. Are we willing to privilege other people for the lack of privilege for ourselves? Are we willing to give away our benefit for the benefit of others? When Paul sees his job as a missionary, he clearly is not seeing it as a specific people group. I'll do my missionary once I get to these people. He's telling anybody about Jesus. And then we see that he gets to jail. He doesn't stop. He's like, great. Here's the mission field now. You're my new mission field. There is, there is no category for him. And I think that's so beautiful that we too as a church get to, see the, get to see ourselves the same way. That there is no start and stop of where Jesus' love goes, but instead it goes everywhere that we go. And so the this, this second point of the second story, what does the gospel offer? That when we cry out to God, our voices are heard. And so finally, this, this last story is the jailer. That they get beaten and then they get thrown in jail and then they, they start singing. And this is, this is so beautiful because this would not be my response if I'm, being, if I'm being honest. You know, I get beaten. Singing praises is probably not the first place that I'm going to, but it's his. And, and it makes me just wonder, like, what kind of Jesus has he experienced that this is his response? When, when we were singing that song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful, I wonder, would that be the type of language that he would be using shackled in chains and having the confidence to know that my deliverance isn't proof of Jesus, but my life is proof of Jesus. It, it's not the, the actual thing that I get that is the proof. It's Jesus himself. That is so challenging to understand, especially in the midst of these difficult circumstances. So we, we get to see here that when he, uh, the jailer puts Paul and Silas into jail, that, they, that this earthquake shows up and frees them all, or has the opportunity to free them all. All the doors are busted wide open. And that instead of running out, instead of leaving the jail in freedom, they stayed. What? 
We've all seen the movie where the, where the prison doors open. No one sits back and stays. Everyone leaves. And instead of Paul seek, seeking this moment of like, opportunity, he, I think, understands the weight of the scenario because he sees the man, the jailer, pull out his sword to fall on it. And he says, no, 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 wait, don't do that. We're all still here. You don't need to kill yourself because we're present. You haven't lost. And what's happening here is the jailer is recognizing uh, his failure is tied to his identity as a jailer. And because he has failed at his job, he has no more identity, he has no more value. And so there's no point of him living. And instead of Paul seeking this moment as revenge, this guy just put me in here. This guy probably put me in kind of the worst part of the jail. And now I have a chance to get my revenge on him. He doesn't take it. Instead, he offers grace. And that we get to see, we get to see that Jesus' love is, is saving lives now. And it isn't just life into eternity, but it's Jesus' love is offering life now. This is so, so, so difficult to understand because I've always, I've always thought about love people so that they can become Christians and fill up our churches. And that maybe the point is less about attendance numbers and it is more about changed lives. New life that Jesus offers. So th those are the three stories we have to hear in the Bible. I wanted to point you to one story that we as Trinity, all, all locations, get to be changed by and inspired by this story that I'm going to show you on the video. And you might recognize him. Uh, his name is Christian. He plays in the band every single week. So you might recognize his face. And he gets to share with us his, his transformation, his new life of seeing who Jesus is today. So, so let's watch this together. My parents really kind of brought me into the faith as I was like a small child and kind of instilled that idea that like regardless of exactly how you feel about the church at the time, we're going to be in the church that morning. So if the doors are unlocked, then we're going to be there. And then I went to Concordia, Chicago, where I wanted to be a, a pre-seminary student. So I came in uh, with a declared major uh, secondary education in Lutheran teacher education in English. And my first class that I took, uh, I immediately decided that that was not a good decision. Uh, so instead of becoming an educator, I declared as a theater major uh, my freshman year of college and then uh, finished with a double major in theater and communications. And with theater majors at a conservative school, there's a lot of times they feel like they're kind of being squashed in their ideologies, their just opinions and beliefs, and their ways of life even. So I had friends that were Lutheran when they were growing up that came to Concordia uh, in the theater program that then uh, subsequently came out before they were at Concordia. And then when they got to Concordia as someone in the Lutheran church that was actively participating in theater, they did genuinely feel like they were just excluded entirely from, uh, from what was allowed within the church, which is kind of sad. I really, at that point in my life, started to separate myself from the church and uh, existed pretty much the entire third and fourth years at Concordia entirely separated from religion. That slight mentality of my parents telling me that regardless of how you feel exactly about the church, if the doors are open, you should be there on Sunday mornings uh, was kind of what got back into my head. So after I graduated from Concordia, I was like, maybe I should start going to church again. Maybe I should look for a church. 
I came to Trinity Galewood. I think the first sermon I ever actually heard at Trinity Galewood was from a UPIC series on sexuality and the believer. And Dave McGinley, I think, handled it with the most finesse I think any Lutheran pastor could have ever handled that topic. Because I had never been told anything that was so incredibly accepting of everyone. And not just specifically to talk about like sexuality and the believer, but it's more like God is for everyone. God is genuinely accepting of everyone. And that was probably the first time I had ever heard that. And that was only about three, two, three years ago. So maybe around 23 years old. And I had finally heard for the first time in my life, God is for everyone and wherever you exactly are in your journey. And I specifically myself know that I'm not a perfect person. I am broken so much. But uh, coming to church on Sunday, specifically at Trinity Galewood, just allows me to feel like I am broken, but God wants to help put me back together. And that's just never existed anywhere for me before. So I've really found like a new spiritual home and like a real excitement about my faith again that I've never really had, even growing up in a church that was very excited to serve at. Uh, I've never been genuinely disinvolved in my faith, in the church, in small group ministry, and just the social connections that exist within a church like uh, Trinity Galewood that serves its community surrounding. After church, you're going to have to find him and say thank you for sharing his story. It's, it's hard to share that kind of story. It's hard to be vulnerable like that. Thank you for offering that. Your life, your acceptance of Jesus, understanding of Jesus shapes and forms all of ours. There's so many fantastic nuggets in there, and I just can't help but think like that, maybe that's the conversation that looked like uh, with Lydia when, when Paul stopped by and started talking about Jesus with her, that she said things like Christian said, I've, I've never heard that the gospel is for everybody the way that you're saying like it is. One, one of the things that Dave was sharing in that series was that the LGBTQ community, 86% of them started with a church background in their childhood. And yet that community has the highest suicide rates. Why is that? Some of it certainly could be the cause of mental health. You know, the other part of like people berating and trying to devalue them because of their sexuality is awful. And, and we as the church get to model Paul when he sees the jailer going to kill himself to say, no, 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 you have the life-saving presence of Jesus in you today. It is offered to you today. And the beautiful thing about the story is that Paul doesn't save the jailer's life knowing he'll become a Christian, knowing he will go to his church. He saves him because. He saves him because he's valued, because the image of God rests on him the same way it rests on Paul. And that we get to offer as the church the same love and compassion to a group of people who've experienced an incredible rejection of the church of love, of humanity. Uh, I wanted to, to bring us to this, uh, towards the end here, bring us to this conclusion that we recognize that the gospel has everything to offer. And that in these four stories, we see the gospel showing up very, very differently. Why is that? How is that possible? 
because Jesus has everything to offer for us. That whatever our emptiness is, that Jesus gets to offer fulfillment to that. Purpose, freedom, hope, love, whatever that is that we are in need, Jesus offers that to us. And that when we look at the church as being made for more life, it can be easy to think that the church is irrelevant or, that, or like, why do I need the church? And that this gets to be a place or a community where we get to remind each other that we do not find purpose in our jobs, we do not find freedom in something else, but instead we get to find all of those things in Jesus. One of the, the, one of the verses in 1 Thessalonians that Paul, who's doing the work in, in these stories, later writes is that the beauty isn't just that we got to share the gospel with each other. It's not just that the church got together and did a service project, but instead it's that we got to do a service project, we got to share the gospel, and we got to share our lives together. Do we care enough about other people to invite them into our lives, be changed by them, and listen to them, let them be changed by us? This requires invitation. This requires participation. This requires uh, sending back the text message saying, sure, I'll hang out even though I'm in my soft pants. That's hard. That's so hard. This is the invitation into small groups. That if you want to uh, change and grow spiritually, that you would change and grow relationally. That you are invited into small groups. That you can be part of one here with this church. And that we would not only share the gospel with each other, but we'd also share our lives with one another. That in a world where the church can be seen as irrelevant, or maybe even the exploiter, that we get to see in this story, that even though there was moments where Paul could have taken advantage, instead he offers, through the Spirit, freedom and purpose and hope for three different people. And then we get to see the same thing alive today through Christian story and through our stories. And through our stories. Let me pray for us as we have a chance to respond to this love and this forgiveness. Jesus, we come to you this morning looking for new life, knowing that you offer it. It doesn't always feel close, it doesn't always feel possible. Remind us through the Spirit that this new life is for us. Remind us through the Spirit, through one another, that as we get to see the new life in each other, that as we get to see the new life in someone else and say, where, where did you get that? How do I get that? That we would be ministered to, we would be ministered through other people of your love. In your name we pray. Amen.